Hey guys, before we jump in today, I want to give you the chance to get a free book, actually. Today, I sit down with author and licensed counselor David Thomas. He wrote a book called Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. Today, we're having a conversation about what it looks like to raise emotionally strong children. It's really, really practical. All throughout the conversation, I was actually taking notes just for me personally as a dad. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. But as you know, when the economy hits or whenever there's inflation or things get weird in our economy, um, oftentimes churches and nonprofits can get hit by that in their giving. And we've seen that in our dad's hired ministry. We're a small ministry. We have just a little over a hundred guys who give and support this ministry, make it possible for the tens of thousands of guys who listen, but we've seen a little bit of a hit in, in our giving recently. And so just trying to think of creative ways to continue to support you guys as you try to lead your families well and to continue to pay all our bills and to grow as a ministry. So if you believe in this ministry and you, you want to, I know a lot of you guys just love it and it's been really helpful for you. We want to say thank you for being a monthly partner. And so if you sign up to become a monthly partner this month, we want to gift you this book completely for free. It's about to come out, but we've got a bunch of copies that we would just like to gift our monthly partners. So you can do that by going to dadtire.com forward slash give, and then just put emotionally strong kids in the comment section. It's important you do that so we know to send you the right book. But again, go to dadtire.com forward slash give, and then just put emotionally strong kids in the comment section, and we will send you this book completely for free as a way of saying thank you. Before we jump into today's episode, I do want to thank our friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring this episode. When it comes to choosing your healthcare provider, one of the most frustrating things can be network restrictions, but there's another way. Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians who actually pay one another's medical bills without the use of insurance. As a Samaritan member, you can choose the doctors, the treatments, the hospitals that are right for you and your family. Just consider this. A medical emergency arises. You don't have to check with an insurance company to ask which hospital to go to. You just go. And after care is received, your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries and they'll notify members to pray and send money directly to you to help you pay those bills. This direct member-to-member sharing approach is one of the many joys of being a Samaritan member. It's biblical, it's affordable, and you can join today. When the body of Christ comes together to pray and encourage and provide for one another, burdens are lifted and God is glorified. This applies to all areas of life, including healthcare. It reminds me of the verse in Galatians 6.2, which says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you're interested in becoming part of this amazing community, you can go to SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash dad tired. David, I'm really, really excited to have this conversation with you today. I'm so grateful you took some time to spend some time with us and our audience, but before we jump into all the stuff we're going to be talking about today, maybe just tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. I would. And before I do that, I just want to say genuinely, it's an honor to be with you. I love the community you built and I'm grateful for the work you're doing. I think you and I are so aligned and feeling so passionate about caring for families and investing deeply in dads. And so mm-hmm. thank you for the work you're doing and grateful to get to be a part of today. I am a therapist, have been practicing for the last 25 years at a place here in Nashville called Daystar Counseling. And we are unique in that we serve just the pediatric population. Our whole focus wow. is kids, adolescents, and families. That's all we do. And we do the work a little different in that we're in a house rather than an office. That was a very intentional decision. We have six therapy dogs on staff, which are mostly kids' favorite therapists. We're all very comfortable with being way back in line behind them in terms of favorites. And (laughs) that gives you a snapshot of how intentional we want to be in the work we do. Because you know, for anyone listening, if you've 
been to counseling yourself. If you've taken kids you love to counseling, you know, it can be an overwhelming experience, particularly that first appointment. So we try to do as much as we can to make it feel comfortable and safe and disarming. And so work with this incredible team of people that I have learned from and and just grateful to share space with for the past 25 mm. years. And wow. in addition to the work I do, my proudest names are son, husband, and father. And so mm. lost my mom a few years ago, who mm. was one of the most significant people in my life and has only deepened my gratitude for still having my dad and what a pivotal role he's played throughout my growth and development still does. And have been married to my wife for 27 years, and we have three kids who are all young adults. Now, I have three kids in college, so we're officially empty nesters as of this past year and wow. adjusting just to that new season of life. And we have kind of a unique story in that my firstborn was a girl, and then about a year into her life, we got pregnant for the second time, and we were incredibly grateful. We went midway through the pregnancy for an ultrasound, as you do, and walked into the room and said to the technician, okay, we're really old school. We know we could find out what we're having, but we don't want to know, and so make a note in the chart, but don't tell us. And I can still remember where I was standing in that room when she looked up from scanning my wife's belly with this big smile on her face and said, I see two heads. And I remember thinking, then why are you smiling if the baby has two heads? Like <laughs> nothing about that sounded right to me. And we were genuinely that shocked. We have no history of multiples in our family. My wife had not gained extra weight or counts weren't different. None of the indicators that are there when you're carrying multiples had been there for us. So here we are midway through finding out we're carrying multiples and then learning they almost always come early. So we have this tiny window of time to absorb all of this news. So I said to the technician, okay, well, clearly we're so behind at this point, I'm going to lay down next to my <laughs> wife and then you tell us what we're having. And she said, two boys. So wow. we are still recovering from that news 20 years later, <laughs> but I have a daughter and twin sons who are honestly some of my favorite people on the planet. I just, mm. I, I've loved seeing who they are becoming, like just mm. growing into all of who God designed them to be. And so it's a really, for any parent listening who has really young children and you are in the heavy lifting space of how physical that season is in the beginning. I mean, I, I think on the timing of what I just shared, I had three children under the age of two, three kids in diapers, three kids in car seats, three. I mean, yeah. my wife and I, sometimes have opportunities to meet families who are carrying multiples and they'll be like, what's it like? And we're like, we don't remember much of anything from the first three years. Like it's just a blur, but they're all alive and safe. And so they somehow got fed and cared for and grew and developed, but is a really fun season now, both within my relationship with them. And even just this morning, I walked in the house and all three of them were in the kitchen. Okay. Parents of youngs be encouraged by this. They're all three in the kitchen, cooking their own breakfast and <laughs> laughing with each other, listening to music. And it's just fun to see their relationship as siblings on yeah. this side of the journey. So yeah, grateful for those three people, grateful for how much time I spend in any given week, any given day with kids. You know, I love it that I raise three, that I work with them every single day. So I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, I love the fact that my world is just immersed in being with kids at mm. different places along the developmental timeline and super grateful for mm. that and what I've learned from it. 
you know, as you're describing that scene of your kids cooking breakfast, listening to music on the other side of this wall behind this computer, I can hear my one-year-old protesting her nap. My <laughs> wife just laid her down. So I'm just like, dude, you know, I love this. I love the baby stage. It's so fun, but I'm also like, I can't wait for those. To, I can't wait to see them as just young adults, just you know, hopefully by God's grace, loving Jesus and loving each yes. other and loving people yes. well. And you're beaming as a dad, man. So it really comes, mm. it's cool for me. I can see like my tired eye. I got three hours of sleep last night. So I can like see the tired in my face. And I'm just like, to see you as a dad who's ahead of me a little bit. I'm mm. Like that's, it's just cool. I'm encouraged already, man. Well, be encouraged. Thank you. Yeah. You wrote a book recently called Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, which I feel like I should have read <laughs> just for my own personal journey. But first, I guess I have so many questions and I ha- I'm so curious and excited about this topic because we got a lot of dads who are raising boys. And maybe we'll just start with the premise like because there's, there's going to be a lot of dads and moms who sneak in here who are listening who are like, well, is any of this going to apply to my daughters or should we specifically talk about boys right now? And if so, why? Why are we specifically talking about boys right now? Because we want emotionally healthy children, but why are we talking specifically about, the, about a boy? And I would say first to that, absolutely, we're going to be talking about all kids and and both genders when we think about this idea of raising emotionally strong kids. I would say the reason that it felt important to write specifically this content about boys, one being that the bulk of the work I've done as a therapist has been with boys and adolescent males. So I really wanted to share as much as I possibly could from sitting across from so many boys, so many young men, so many parents of boys over the years. And again, what I have learned through that work, I'm incredibly grateful for my undergrad and graduate training, but the best stuff I know has been 25 years of just sitting in the room Mm, with boys and adolescent males. And so it is both and, but I would say part of why it felt so important to write it about boys is, you know, any parent listening who has both genders, think about those early visits with the pediatrician. I mean, you just shared, you're right there in that moment with a one-year-old. When we go for those 12, 18, 24-month check-ins, they're going to start asking these really important developmental questions. You know, how many words is he saying? How many words is she saying? And we know that at 18 and 24 months, girls are often, not always, but often saying twice the words boys are saying in those early check-in appointments. Absolutely. And so if we think about just their general vocabulary being twice as large, understandably, their emotional vocabulary would be more expansive Mm -hmm. as well. And so I do think we have to labor a bit longer in that space with boys. And then I would add to that, and even thinking about the premise of this book, you know, it was interesting doing the research and being reminded, I knew this, but just being reminded that Research tells us time and time again that men, males, are more reluctant to openly discuss their health. There was even fascinating research I found about the percentage of women who go every year for their well visit with the doctor versus men. Mm -hmm. You know, we just don't attend to our health, our physical health, our emotional health, and our spiritual health in the same ways that women do. And and with the same willingness at times to avail ourselves to those other voices. And so you know, as I did a lot of surveying of all the data, it is the reminder of why we as men lead some of the scariest statistics that are out there. We lead the stats for addiction and suicide. We lead the stats for infidelity and internet pornography. And if we look at the common denominator in some of those scary places, it is this inability or unwillingness to 
acknowledge what I feel and to figure out how to channel that in healthy, constructive directions. So those are all different ways that men are seeking to numb it out, Mm. to make it stop, to shut it down. And the message I talk about throughout raising emotionally strong boys is we want to equip boys with a sense of what it means to work it through. Not shut it down, not numb it out, not make it stop, but work it through. And as simple as that sounds, according to those stats, we've still got a good ways to go. And if we even come down from those stats about adult men, adolescent boys lead the scariest stats out there too. They lead Mm. the stats for substance abuse and suicide. They lead the stats in so many of those scary places, which I want to be able to say, you know, at the end of my work, like I just did everything I knew to do to try to push the conversation forward about how we could grab hold of kids on the front side of development and do as much as we could to equip them to be emotionally strong as possible. And I I would say, you know, for all the awful things that have come from this pandemic, and there are more than we could count, one of the good things, one of the redemptive things I think that has come is there's never been a time in history when we've been talking about mental health as much as now. And I hate it took a global pandemic to get us there, but the Surgeon General in the United States just declared youth mental health a state of emergency. Like we have wow. the scariest numbers we have ever seen. Anxiety in our country is considered to be a childhood epidemic, affecting one in three adolescents right now. Jeez. I know one in three. And the suspicion is if we keep trending in the direction we're going, we'll be at one in two, not far from now. We have the highest rates of adolescent depression around the country. We have the highest rates, again, of adolescent substance abuse. These numbers that are reminding us we have a crisis on our hands. And so I'm grateful we're talking about it now. I hate it took us this long to get to this place, but I simply want to add anything I can to that conversation in in terms of what does it look like to help kids build strong emotional muscles on the front side of development? When you're talking about those stats, is that American stats? Is that global stats? And kind of the question behind the question is like, where does this come from? Like, why are men, why are boys harder to emotionally process? Is it a cultural thing? Is it like, did something shift? Has it always been that way? First, I would say, yes, those are global. And our stats, you know, as a country, if we drill down, they're not identical, but they're every bit as concerning. So when I did the research, I don't even like saying the statistic out loud. It was painful for me to write, but it's an important one to note. When I did the research, The current statistic is that globally, one man will die by suicide every minute of every day. Oh my gosh. Globally, every 60 seconds. Now, we're not quite there as a country, but we're not far behind that in terms of where we're leading in that space. And you probably read so many of the newer articles where that's becoming, suicide's becoming one of the leading causes of death in 11 to 14 year olds. The ages just keep climbing down. And so, as I think on all of that and the why of that, I think to your great question, it is both cultural and biological. So for example, in the book, I talk about how somewhere around nine to 10, a boy's brain will begin to channel all primary emotions, fear, sadness, confusion, disappointment into one emotion, and that's anger. And Mm. culturally, I think we support that. We're okay with boys being angry. We're not okay with them being sad or afraid. And so I think there is both this biological process at play and a cultural message that supports that. And Think of all the different ways we see that play out. You know, think about the classic example of how often when boys lose access to their dads, they're told to become the man of the house. And what do we mean by that? Think about what we mean. I think about, I was at a funeral a couple of years ago for a a man in my hometown who I knew and loved. He was an amazing father and grandfather, beloved in our community. And 
I was in the service in our church, and as they were about to carry the coffin out to head to the graveside, his six-year-old grandson started wailing, crying so loud everyone in the room could hear in this big space. And he kept saying, I miss you. I miss Mm. you so much. And I remember looking at this little boy feeling all of what I think so many of us were feeling, but unwilling to be as open about as this little six-year-old guy. I looked next to him at his 14-year-old cousin, grandson, this man's grandson as well, who had his arms really tight crossed and you could tell he was doing everything in his being to keep from crying, but was feeling all the same emotions, but working so hard not to feel them. And as we were leaving that room, folks who know that I work with boys commented, multiple folks said, I bet you feel so worried about that little six-year-old boy, don't you? And I said, oh, I don't feel worried about him at all because what he's doing is really what we all should be doing. Like he's being very open about how he feels. He's saying aloud, I miss you. I miss you so much. That's healthy grief in motion right there. Mm -hmm. And what I also heard as I got close to the 14 year old boy was people saying things like you're being so strong for your family right now. And so there's that cultural message that, you know, you're being strong when you're showing no emotion, when you're working as hard as you can to try to shut it down and push it down. And so I really want to move against that message every way possible. You know, no, the little six-year-old guy was being emotionally strong. His 14-year-old cousin was working hard to not feel anything, which is an emotional strength at all. So I just would invite folks listening, think about all the different ways I think we support that messaging and so many of the things that we say. And, And again, why I think boys, adolescent males, and adult men lead some of those really scary statistics out there. Man, I have so many thoughts on that. We experienced death in our family, close death in our family just this last week. And so a lot of what you're saying is um, resonating on kind of a deeper level. And I want to get to that in a second. Let's just go there now, I guess. How does a guy be emotionally honest and not push down those emotions that are very Mm. real? He's feeling all of them. And I like what you said. I've written about this before briefly, but I said, we oftentimes have men talk about how we're not good at showing emotions, but we're pretty good at showing the emotion of anger. And so there, and there is one emotion that we have no problem showing. And most guys would admit, I have some kind of anger thing that I'm trying to deal with. And so I've always found that interesting as I've been working with men is it's, it's interesting how we kind of dismiss all the other emotions and we're okay with not showing any of them, but Mm -hmm. we all kind of admit, yeah, but I'm angry which I'm like, well, that dude, that's a, that's an emotion. You know, so you can't say you're fully not emotional, but how does a guy be honest and genuine about what he's feeling to be emotionally healthy, to express what he's sadness, hurt, frustration, fear, all these things. And at the same time, be a strong man. And because that's the dichotomy that most men are feeling. Like if I'm the six-year-old in this scenario, and I'm really just, I'm wailing, I'm crying out. I feel completely out of control. I'm scared, I'm hurt, I'm lonely, which so many men feel, but we don't know how to say that. How do I say that? And at the exact same time, also say, I'm going to be a rock for my family. I'm going mm-hmm. to be strong. Is there a combination of the 14 the year old and the six year old? Is there a talk us through that, if that question makes sense? I would first say, and this may feel confusing, concerning, surprising to a lot of folks listening, but I would argue that we could be a rock and be emotionally honest simultaneously. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. How do we do Mm -hmm. that? How do we do that? You know, I share a story in the book of sitting with another 14-year-old boy 
who lost his grandmother and listening to him talk to me about what it was like to watch his father grieve, how impacting it was to have observed that and how thankful I am for this young man's father. And they spent a lot of time, the grandmother lived very close to them. So they were in close proximity at the house, sometimes daily during her last weeks. And he talked longer to me through the whole process, you know, from her being diagnosed to her being really sick to the last hours to her funeral. He talked more about one day than any other day. And it was a day toward the end when he was in the room and his dad was weeping and climbed into the bed next to his mom, Mm. this grown man, and his son was watching. And I would argue, as this boy painted this picture for me, his dad was demonstrating as much emotional strength as ever in that moment. And Mm. here he is, this adult man in bed next to his mom. Now, what this 14-year-old boy could say, which is so profound, is, I love my mom that much, and it made sense to me. That was his phrase. Like, it made sense to me. Yeah. And, And that sense of absolutely. And, you know, you heard me say a few minutes ago, I've lost my mom. I had an exact moment. I can remember laying in the bed beside her. I can remember weeping uncontrollably. I can remember standing around her bed, praying with my children and just, I could barely speak and how grateful I am. And I would argue to your great question. I think I was still being a rot because I think what I was doing, particularly for my sons was saying, this is normal. This is healthy. This is good. And so being fully present in those ways, climbing in the bed, crying so hard, I couldn't speak didn't mean I wasn't capable of caring for them. Like I would argue, I didn't do it perfectly every moment. No parent will, particularly in the space of grief, but would argue I was still able to do both. But what I could do in front of my sons gave them all the permission in the world to say, this is what it looks like when you lose someone you love in this world, which will be every one of our stories. Like none of us will be exempt from loss. Every one of us will experience it throughout your sharing so honestly, you've just walked it out in your own life and giving your children permission to say, this is what it looks like. You know, we just passed Mother's Day a few weeks ago. You know, every Mother's Day, I I feel like no matter how long it's been, like I can't tell enough stories about her. I can't remember enough. I can't, you know, just sit with my kids and talk about the profound impact she had on their life as a grandmother. She had on my life as a mother. So I would say, Let's work to bring those ideas together in the great way you said, as opposed to believing they're completely separate. I can either be a rock for my family or I can be emotionally honest. And I would say, I think you can be both. And in being both, you meet the definition of what I talk about to be emotionally strong. I think to shut things down and pretend like I don't have any feelings is in the book, I call it emotionally lazy. You know, it doesn't take any work. Mm. I talk about how it takes no work. We've all witnessed a toddler who's just rolling around on the ground, melting down. That doesn't take any emotional strength, you know, to just melt down, whether you're a toddler, a teenager, or a grown up. What takes work is naming honestly what I feel. I talk about regulating a lot. I talk about the three R's in this book, recognize, regulate, repair, and regulation is effortful. Like it's full of effort. It involves me having to take the emotion to something healthy and constructive. Otherwise, it'll come out sideways. I'll turn that on the people I love the most in this world. I think this world is full of men who are in pain and causing pain as a result of that. And so it takes a lot of work. It's effortful to regulate in a way that I don't cause pain to the people I love the most in this world because I know how to take that emotion to something healthy and constructive. Man, I, I could not agree with you more. And the way you said it is um, a better way than I think I could have articulated that. 
but I'm just thinking about my experience with men personally and, and in ministry and just thinking about it could feel like, well, I'm being tough, but dude, let's just face reality. Most guys are going to find a way to deal with that in some way. They'll go numb it. You know, they'll go, they'll go have another beer, go drink it off, or they'll go look at porn or they'll go, do, yes. they'll, you know, they'll, they'll go spend money or they'll work hard. So just they're numbing it in a lot of ways. And I love what you just said. That's the easy way. That's not a strong, it takes much more strength to say, I'm going to deal with my emotions face on. I'm going to, I'm going to feel all of them in their full intensity right now. And so I think we've just tricked ourselves and think, you know, I'm going to be real strong for my family. When most, I think for, again, if we're just honest, maybe you hold back the tears for a moment, but dude, you find another way to let that pain come out somewhere. Certainly. And, and whether it's numbing or you're hurting somebody else and, and you said it much more eloquently than I can, but yeah, yeah. I appreciate that response. I'm looking at my own marriage. I've been married 13 years now. My wife and I just experienced a big blow up, like one of the biggest fights we've had in the probably a decade. Like it's, it was a, it was a big fight and it was the day before I had to go speak, which is always, I'm always like, man, there's a spiritual battle going on. Yes. Always. I'm, I'm always reminded of that. We had not fought like that in a really long time, but recently we were talking about that and kind of that whole experience. And we were reflecting on how Jared would have reacted in day and year one of marriage and how Jared reacted. feels weird referring to myself in third person, but you know, she was saying, you know, how you reacted year one versus how you reacted now. And really it's just emotional maturity. I'm trying to grow up emotionally. I was really, really immature emotionally when we first got married. I don't think I've, (laughs) I think I've taken some steps. My wife would say Jared has taken some steps. And a lot of that is just due to her. Like she's taught me how to be more emotionally healthy, but I guess that's a really long-winded way of saying, if you were to ask me today, Jared, what is emotional health? I think I would fumble around and trying to figure out like how to define that. So maybe from your experience, how do we define emotional healthiness? And that way we have some kind of target that we're aiming for when we're thinking about our sons and trying to raise them to become emotionally healthy men. Mm-hmm. You know, those three R's are potentially, I think, one of the better roadmaps for what emotional health, what emotional strength could look like. I think, you know, if we think about the first R of recognizing that really is embodies that naming my feelings. I think it's also learning to pay attention to the sirens and signals we get inside our bodies. You know, I wrote a workbook that's going to come out alongside this parenting book for elementary age boys called Strong and Smart. And in it, I talk with boys about, you know, at some point, climb in the front seat of the car with your parents when you're sitting in the driveway and take a really close look at the dashboard and the fact that, you know, all of our vehicles give us these different signals. Like this one means check your oil. This one means check your tires. And let's work with that one. For example, it's like, if I pay attention when my vehicle signals me that I've got a low tire, that may be nothing more than I just need to put a little air in. It may mean I've got a nail in the tire and I need to get that thing patched or replaced. If I ignore it, at some point in the very near future, I'm going to end up on the side of the road, Mm. maybe on the side of the interstate, maybe in an accident because I blow out a tire on the interstate. So what does it look like to pay attention to those signs and signals and respond accordingly? And so that's kind of the concrete analogy I use to teach what it looks like to kind of move toward that first star. And then the second one being the regulating piece. And I, I walk boys through walk parents through what it looks like to walk kids, all kids through coming up with what I call a top five list. What are the top five things that help you when you can 
feel your body sending you signs and signals that there are strong emotions inside and taking that to something constructive. And that looks different for every person. Back to your original question about why I wrote the book for boys. One of the reasons I wanted to drill down on that top five list with boys is that research would tell us, and this has certainly been true in my practice, that we as males have a lot more physicality to our emotions. Mm -hmm. So it's why the research would tell us toddler age boys are more prone to biting, hitting, kicking, Mm. screaming in a classroom. It's why adolescent boys are a little more vulnerable to punching holes in drywall. It's not to say girls don't do that, but it is to say there's this energy, this intensity in us. And to the degree that we learn to release that in healthy ways, again, we don't have to turn that inward on ourselves. It doesn't have to come out sideways on other people we care a lot about. And so That top five list, I talk a lot with boys about making sure you've got a lot of movement-based strategies. And I think that's different for every boy. I talked with an eight-year-old boy a day ago who said he jumps out a lot of his feelings after school. If he's had a really stressful day, he'll get on the trampoline for 20 to 30 minutes and Mm. just jump out a lot of that intensity. I'm like, that's awesome. Boys who bite, boys who run, My all three of my kids in there. You uh, say boys middle. who bike? Sorry. Boys yes. Who boys who Sorry, bike. I thought you said boys them. who bite. I'm like, I don't know. Is that? Are we there are some that? boys who bite. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> okay. Definitely not great for adult men. But boys all, who bite. Got it. Okay. Sorry. All three of my kids ran track and cross country mm. in middle school and high school. And as I mentioned, they're all in college now. I remember calling my daughter first semester of her freshman year of college and saying, okay, you got exams coming up. How are you feeling about it? And she was like, dad, I've probably clocked in 25 miles this week. Mm. And it was one of my proudest parenting moments. Like I thought, I'm so thankful that I've trained you in this direction of knowing you need this release and figuring that out for yourself because you live far away from me now. I'm not there to keep my thumb on the pulse of where you are, coach you, you know, you, but you've been in this process all along of figuring out this is how I move my body from stress to settled how I get from chaos to calm. And so that's what the top five list is about. And then the last R is repair. And often for any one of us, it's not just true for boys, but any one of us, when we're in a dysregulated moment, you know, when our nervous system is in a heightened state of arousal, we are more vulnerable back to that statement of being in pain and causing pain. And and sometimes we need to do some repair work within relationship. And that may be apologizing to a sibling when I've yelled at them or having shoved a sibling, or I was disrespectful to my parents because I was just churning inside and didn't take the emotion to something constructive. So the repair piece is foundational relational work. But the objective being, if I work long enough and hard enough at the recognize and regulate, sometimes I don't even need the repair. Sometimes I don't get to that place Mm. because I'm becoming so skilled. I'm building these emotional muscles that I'm paying close enough attention to the sirens and signals that I immediately head toward my top five list so I don't take it out on someone. Yeah. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as I am and it's as helpful for you as it is for me. Uh, Just as a reminder, I want to give you a completely free copy of David's book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, as a way of saying thank you for being a monthly partner and believing in the Dad Tire ministry and helping us equip more men to lead their family well. If you go to dadtire.com forward slash give and become a monthly partner and then in the comment section, put Raising Strong Kids. When you do that, we will send you a free copy of David's book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, as again, just as a way for us to say thank you for believing in the ministry. Again, go to dadtire.com forward slash give, become a monthly partner, and we will send you this book for free. Let's jump back into the episode. Man, it's so obvious, but I'm just going to say it out loud. But I mean, what you're describing for our boys 
is like, there's a lot of men who are like, oh, geez, man, I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to get my, my son to be emotionally healthy, but I think I've got some work to do on just the, on those three R's and just trying to figure that. And just thinking like, if we, as men could start to practice those things better, we probably have really healthy or healthier marriages as a result. It's really, what you're describing is what we're seeing in boys. There's, it, we just have men, like you drive down the road Absolutely. and you see road rage, right? Or you, you see a guy, I just watched two men yell at each other in the parking lot yesterday as I was getting out of the grocery store with my kids. I'm just like, they don't know how to regulate. They're just boys exactly. trapped in, in, uh, in exactly. adult men bodies. Yeah. Well, and, and can I say two things today? One, you're a hundred percent on target. I could put my finger on any given day. A couple of weeks ago, do you remember that day in the news when airlines canceled a record number of flights, like the highest number ever? I was flying that day, trying to get mm. from Nashville to Orlando and kept having delay, 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 and then cancel, cancel, cancel. And so the airport's full of frustrated, understandably so people. Mm-hmm. I've never seen so many adult men behaving badly in mm-hmm. one space, like mm-hmm. screaming at gate agents as mm-hmm. if they're in charge of the weather across right. the globe or right. Right. the FAA, you know, and, and that sense of it's everything you just said. It's like, unless I know, I remember thinking I'm frustrated and then thinking immediately, how about you go to the gift shop, get yourself a cold water. How about you do some laps around the airport? Like just walk, start walking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but yelling at a person who's not in charge of right. the weather in the world is not helpful for her or for me. And so I would say 100% you're right on target. I would also want to say as encouragement to any dad listening, like if if you are feeling challenged or convicted, I would love to for you to hear me say, I want you to feel encouraged. Like one, if you're listening and thinking, I've got a lot of work to do before I ever attend to the work my kids need to do. You know, I talked throughout this book about how we can only take the kids we love as far as we've gone ourselves. And so if you're feeling challenged, I want you to feel encouraged because what that means is you're going to get to do this work alongside your kids. You're Mm going to get to do this work in front of your kids. And kids learn more from observation than information. They learn way more from watching us than anything else. So that's not bad news. That's good news. That's Mm -hmm. good news. And you can talk about it openly. I did a session not long ago with a first grade boy and his dad. and, And midway through our conversation, the dad started crying and the son said, dad, what's wrong? And he was like, buddy. These are tears of joy and, and gratitude because I listen to you talk about things and I think I could have never talked about things the way mm. you do when I was your age. And it excites me so much that you are learning to do this. You don't have to wait till you're my age to figure some things out that you can carry all these great skills and strengths into your marriage, into your yeah. parenting yeah. and, and not feel as roadblocked as I felt or as stuck as I felt at different points along the way. And so I want any dad right now who's feeling challenged to also feel encouraged. It's never too late. I talk about that in the book. It's just never too late. Mm. That's a gift, man. Cause I think a lot of guys are going to feel a little bit discouraged, but I, I, I appreciate that encouragement. Practically, you talked about that workbook. What age group is that workbook for? I had elementary boys in mind. So six to 12 year old was kind of the ages cool. I was targeting, but I would say, I think the book could still be really useful for four and five-year-old boys. It just will require some modification for okay. parents to kind of break it down, but I think it could still be really useful. And honestly, to the conversation you and I are sharing, I know plenty of adolescent boys and adult men who are going <laughs> to yeah, find yeah, some benefit, yeah. hopefully by walking through some of those exercises themselves. Yeah. Is it a companion to the book, Raising Emotionally Strong Book? So, it would, is. so how would it work? Like the dad should be reading that and then the son can get involved by doing the workbook. Is that how that would work? It would be my great hope that 
parents would read the Raising Emotionally Strong Boys and then read the workbook with him, like go through it. It's a lot of experiential. I know boys well enough to know there's not a single boy who wants to read a, a really long workbook. So it's yeah, yeah. few words and a lot of experiential things. And cool. so I think it would be ideal if parents could do that with him. And, and there you're just bringing all the concepts from both books together. Everybody's using the same common language. Cool. Everybody knows the three R's. So I just think that would be a, a best practice. Yeah. We had John Tyson on. I don't know if you know who John Tyson He's is. great. Yeah. But he talked about kind of doing the rite of passage with our sons starting around 13 years old. And so I know a lot of guys listen to that episode. They're really excited about it. So if you are listening and you've got a son who's kind of entering that age, my son's turning 11 this week. So we're, I'm, I'm gearing up real practically to start taking him through that when he turns 13. But I just thought that would be a cool thing to do in the mornings, like wake up with him early in the mornings, go through your workbook, man. I mean, what a gift to raise. I, I think we would all be dads, like you said, described that are crying, like praise God that my son is learning these tools so that he's not getting into a marriage, trying to deal with this stuff that I never, I was never able to process, you know, Absolutely. Uh, as a, as a man. Now, speaking of parents, like you, you talked about that session where you had the dad and the son in there together from your experience, do you see times where parents get in the way or can roadblock like helping our sons become emotionally healthy? And if so, okay. how, like, what are we doing to stop it sometimes? I do. <laughs> and I would say, let me even break that down. unique to gender. I think one of our strengths as men, undeniable strengths is we're fixers and doers. Mm. We're wired that way. And when that strength is being used for kingdom work, like it's beautiful to watch. It really yeah. is where I think it can stand in the way of our children, our journey with our kids is we can bypass the listening and support. And I would, and let me pause right there. And I want to talk about moms. Then I'll talk about kind of the end result with both. I think with moms of boys, any moms listening, I want to challenge you greatly. And in my experience in 25 years of doing this work, my colleagues and I talk a lot about this. We've seen a great amount of evidence of where it is very easy for moms to be incredibly hard on their daughters and do a little more coddling with their sons and dads, vice versa, be really hard on their boys and a little coddling with their daughters. And I think it comes from a good place. Like, I think it is this sense that Jared, you and I know what it takes to be a man in this world. So I want my sons to feel prepared for them. My wife knows what it takes to be a woman in this world. And she wants my daughter to feel prepared for that. So yeah. I understand that, but out of that sense of knowing we can come up on an urgency that can end up meaning that other direction of coddling with our opposite gender children. So moms, it's real easy to not create enough opportunity for boys. We do a little too much for them sometimes and don't create enough opportunities for them to build some resilience, some resourcefulness, some responsibility. So I would challenge both parents you need to gender to think on that possibility. That's not to say that happens in every family in that exact way, but I'm saying it happens in a lot of families. I think, in dude, I'm, I'm convicted as you say it. I've got three daughters, and literally last night as I was falling asleep, I was convicted by this thought. I'm like, my little girls just get all of daddy's affection there, and they get the best life with daddy. You know, <laughs> just like whatever you want, baby girl, yes. you got it. And my son, man, I am pushing that boy to be a man. Here it is. And I'm there like, it is. Oh man, I probably should ease up on that, and I should probably call them to more as women. Yes, that is it right there. Let yeah. me ease up on him and call them to more. That's it. Yeah. That's the equation. I want to challenge parents to move toward. Well said. Thank you. Mm. And I think what I would add to that is that. 
when we are doing too much of either of those things, we're robbing boys of opportunities. You know, if I'm a dad and I'm doing too much doing and fixing his life, I'm a mom, I'm doing too much coddling. And it's like both directions, we're robbing him of some opportunity to develop some emotionally strong muscles. If we're doing too much problem solving for our kids, if we're being our kids resources, they don't develop resourcefulness. If I'm doing too much of the problem solving, fixing and doing for you, or I'm doing coddling, getting all those things out of the way, I'm just not creating space for you to develop critical thinking Mm -hmm. and to use those amazing God-given muscles and strengthen those. So that's so much what I would want to challenge any parent listening to consider and what I think it's about. Do you think there are times, do you see a lot of guys teaching their sons to like, kind of what, like you were talking about that in the funeral scenario that you shared that story where we're kind of a good job being tough, good job, you know, you're doing a good job and we're not giving them the tools to express their emotion. I feel like that would be a thing that a lot of dads are maybe even subconsciously doing with their sons is kind of teaching them to be these strong men, but really they're just men that are pushing emotions down. Do you see that? Absolutely. And in fact, I was with a family last week and the dad, I was so grateful for his honesty and transparency. He's coaching his son's baseball team. And he is this son who just feels things deeply. He's so passionate about the sport. And he said, he's a blast to watch when we're winning. And it nearly rips me to pieces when we're losing, because I can see the tears start to come in. He's out at the pitcher's mound and he can barely see because eyes are getting all met. He just is so passionate, cares Mm -hmm. so deeply that when he Mm -hmm. feels like he's tanking or the team's not doing well, this big emotion. And he said, David, I knew the messaging to him should not be stop crying or no tears on the field, you know, kind of thing. And I resisted for the longest until I saw it starting to, you know, well up bigger and bigger in him. And then I could feel myself saying it, you know, like I got sucked right into that cultural message, you know, like Mm. stop crying. Tears don't belong on the field, that sort of thing, as opposed to helping him feel, figure out how to work that through. This great dad said, he can't help but feel passionate about the game. It's part of who he is. And I love it. And again, it's fun to watch when we're winning. But my job is simply to help him figure out when that passion takes over, when that intensity registers inside of him, as we were discussing earlier. What can he do with that in the dugout? What can he do with that on the field? What can he do with that in the pitcher's mound? As opposed to just shoving that down, but working it through. And I think that looks different for every boy. And you said something a little bit earlier that I realized I wanted to go back to and forgot when you talked about how many men can identify with anger. There are certainly times, I want to be clear in saying this, there are certainly times when anger is just anger. But I would also say anger is a derivative emotion or secondary emotion. And so a high percentage of the time, there's something underneath that. And often I think it's fear. Yep. And so, in fact, I talk in this book, I have a chapter on anxiety and depression and how often it's missed in boys because it doesn't present in the traditional ways. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't always see, I see more boys who look angry when they're anxious we're irritable when they're depressed than I do boys who feel sad when they're depressed and worried Mm. when they're anxious. Mm. And so because that biological process we talked about around nine to 10 is so strong in boys, it's really easy to miss what's going on. And I think the same with adult men. Mm. So I would really challenge any dad listening to pay very close attention to that. And that's again, where I don't think boys can sit front row, even just in the everyday, when we're at the dinner table, Checking in on day on each other's day as we do and families in homes all across the country as families come together at night. I want to challenge dads listening, like just fold in more emotional vocabulary. When your wife asks, how was your day? Don't say fine. 
Yeah. I jokingly say fine is an acronym for feelings in need of expression. Throw that word out <laughs> and just, you know, I want boys to hear their dad saying things like, you know what? I felt embarrassed today. I had to give a presentation yeah. to the board of directors and I was not as prepared as I wanted to be. That's good. I feel sad. I was super irritable and short tempered with one of my colleagues and it didn't have a thing to do with them and everything to do with me. And That's I good. need to go to model the repair. I had to go back to them at the end of the day and say, you know what? I owe you an apology. I, I blew up at you today and that didn't have a thing to do with your performance and everything to do with me. Wow. That's good. That's really good. I love what you said too, about the being anger, being a secondary emotion. Yes. I wrote a little bit about that in one of the books that I, that's coming out for dad tired, but I talked about just use the example of getting cut off on the freeway, you know, and a guy flipping me off as this, we live in a busy street. I feel like this happens once a week where somebody's getting flipped off somewhere. You see it or it's happening to you all the anger as a man, it always amazes me how quickly my wife can just let that stuff roll off. Yes. But for me, I'm just like every ounce of my competitive, like anger comes out, you know, it's just like, it's on full th- and it's so quick. I can go from like singing a worship song <laughs> on Apple music to just like, I'm ready to fight this guy yes. uh, in, in a split second. But really at the heart of that anger if I'm just self-aware enough for a second to think, what am I really feeling? What's the emotion behind the emotion? Well, there's part of it is like, I feel insecure that he's more of a man than I am, that I'm not good enough or that I am not capable or competent. Like all these, a lot of what you described, it's fear. And it just takes a ton of self-awareness and a ton of humility to say that. And I think the most beautiful thing about the gospel is the gospel identifies who we are, not the dude who cuts me off. And so when I continually am rooted in the gospel, I know who I am in Christ. When I am actually connected to that reality that I'm a beloved son of Christ, yes. loved by him, regardless of what I can accomplish or can't accomplish, this is who I am. I'm, this is my secure in that identity. And I weave in and out of that. <laughs> but when I'm in it, when I feel secure in that, then I just seem to roll off. That kind of stuff rolls off easier. Guy flips me off. It's like, well, that guy's opinion of me doesn't really matter because I know who I am in Christ. And so anyway, that's a really long winded way of saying, I, I just, love that. I, I couldn't agree more with the, the emotion behind the emotion. Um, you know yeah, what else yeah. is important about what you just said that I want yeah. to highlight. It's funny to me how often over the years I have heard the declaration of boys don't have as many feelings as girls, men don't have as many feelings as women. And there is no research to support that. Yeah, none. I to back it. that up. Yeah. And I would argue as the research would tell us, that's not true. And it always fascinates me because I think, really, have you ever watched men in a football stadium? Like there is a lot. (laughs) Have you, to your great story, have you ever watched a man when he's cut off on the road? (laughs) Like men are full of emotion. Boys are full of emotion. It's not that we have fewer emotions. We have fewer words to articulate those emotions. That is true. Back to the beginning of the front side. And that's why we want to expand our emotional vocabulary. According to the stats, we have fewer tools for how to channel that emotion in constructive directions. And to the research, we are less likely to avail ourselves to a process where we could develop skills in terms of how to navigate those emotions. But it's not that we have fewer emotions. And so there's another challenge to any dad listening of a boy. You know, I think it's so easy to think, well, that's work I need to do on behalf of my daughter because she's full of emotion, but my son doesn't have as many. He does. He does. He just doesn't necessarily know how to name and navigate those. That's good. 
You know, it's funny, man, if I'm being honest is I spent my whole life, my full-time job is trying to help men become more like Jesus, lead their family. Well, like this is, I think about this stuff all day, every day. And yet I still find myself as a dad, even knowing all these things, I talk about it. I'll have this conversation with you. One of my first instincts is to still, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to try to fix whatever my kids, you know, they're going to have a thing. I'm just going to immediately try to make it end quickly by fixing it or giving them a quick lesson. And I've been really trying to, speaking of tools in the toolbox, one thing I've been trying to do recently is really like sit and listen to what they're saying. And instead of offer a quick, like, here's a word of advice (laughs) for my kids, which man, I give a lot of words of advice that they're probably not listening to 99 times out of a hundred, but I've just, my one follow-up question I've been trying to do a lot is how did that make you feel? I've been doing that with my son and with my daughters. Like they'll just, they'll say there, they'll declare whatever the thing happened. You know, sister did this, brother did this, that person on the field did this, whatever the thing is. And then just, oh man, what did you feel? And just let them talk about it. And honestly, most of the time, I don't even have to come up with some advice after that. Like just them having the ability to express what they were feeling seems to satisfy whatever emotional thing they're feeling in that moment is it almost satisfies itself. Like I don't, I don't really need to even be part of the process anymore, but man, it just, again, I, that's just me like trying to figure out as a dad seems so simple, but just to like empathize, how big is empathy in your, in your, in like, in your experience, just to like the tool of empathy and raising emotionally healthy boys, like how, how big is empathy? It is a game changer. And throughout this book, I talk about an equation, which you are nailing in the story you just shared of empathy and questions. I think Mm -hmm. if dads could say that over and over, and I say it to myself all the time, I say it to myself in the hardest moments of parenting when I'm tempted to do the fixing. Yeah. Empathy, start with empathy, move toward questions. Sweetheart, that sounds hard. What do you want to do with that? Mm -hmm. What are you feeling to your great question as well? And I think there's something about those questions, you know, the, what do you want to do with that? How do you want to solve that? How do you want to work within that? That is so empowering to our kids. You know, I think we're speaking this beautiful message of, I believe you, I believe in you. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm here if we need to brainstorm or role play, but you are a competent, capable person. And so I'm just here to support you while you connect all these dots and find your way to the solution that feels right for you, which might be different. Yeah. Then the yep. way I might solve that or approach that or respond yeah. to that. And yeah. so I would challenge dads listening. You know, I, I talked about where I am in this season of parenting. You know, if we're playing the long game, what we all know to be true is that at some point our kids are going to move out. You know, they're going to move into different seasons of their own life in different places. My daughter just finished studying abroad. She just got home 48 hours ago. She's been in Spain for four oh, months wow. and traveling all over Europe. And I could not fix things for her if I wanted to. I was nowhere near in close proximity to her. So, you know, all the stuff that happens when you travel abroad, she'd go to swipe her card in some country and forgot to cue the bank that she was going to be there and they denied her card, you know, and she's like, I couldn't get into the hotel, you know, whatever it may be. And so we want to be playing the long game in a way that reminds ourselves that I'm working to prepare them for all of what's coming in their lives when they won't have me near when I'm not available. And so if I'm doing all the doing, there's no way I'm preparing them for that moment. I think it's also the reminder within that of what we know to be true, but it's easy to forget, which is just these kids are on loan to us. Mm -hmm. They they don't belong to us. 
Yep. They're on loan to us. They belong to God. We're given the gift of stewarding them for a period of time, but ultimately they're not ours. Mm. Let's live like we believe that to be true. That's good, man. I wish I could spend two weeks with you and just pick your brain or just watch you and just listen because I, I feel like I'm already encouraged and I've learned a lot. But fortunately, you've put all this good wisdom into a book. So definitely encourage all our listeners, go pick up Raising Emotionally Strong Boys pick it up wherever books are sold, leave a review. Uh, and then when does the workbook come out? I'm, I'm anxious to get that from my son. Thank you. The workbook and the book both release on June the 14th. And cool. so I think it's good timing. It'll be summer. Hopefully boys are out of school. I've had a few weeks to catch their breath before we might enter into doing some of this work. Um, but yeah. thanks for mentioning that. Well, man, this has been incredibly helpful. Thank you. And I know you got a podcast too, so that you, you're constantly putting out a lot of good resources. Tell us about the podcast. Thank you. Yes, we are heading into our fifth season of the podcast. And actually, we're going to focus in my dear friend and colleague, Sissy Goff, who I work at Daystar with, wrote a great book on girls and anxiety called Raising Worry-Free Girls. So our fifth season that we're about to release is going to be called raising emotionally strong and worry-free kids. So we're going to do a deeper dive into a lot of the concepts in both of those books, but you could find the podcast. You find really everything we've done at raisingboysandgirls.com. If you went to our website, it'll take you to the podcast. It'll take you to our books and resources. We've got a lot of free stuff. So if that feels like a supportive space to stop off, would love for folks to check that out. Thank you well, for mentioning that. Yeah, man. As a young dad, I'll be, I'll be heading to that website as soon as we're done with this conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been really encouraging. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Well, grateful to be with you. And I, I mean what I said on the front side of our conversation. Thank you for just the life-giving work you're doing in this world. Mm -hmm. And it was a pleasure to get to spend time with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, hope that conversation was helpful for you to fall more in love with Jesus and help your family do the same. I was just telling my wife this week, we were, I was having a conversation with her and actually a couple friends about all the chaos that's happened in our world lately and the violence and all just the, the crazy, hard, horrendous things we've been seeing. And uh, it's just rekindled that fire in me that, man, if we do more than anything, we just need dads. Like we need good, godly, humble, servant, strong dads to lead their family well. And I truly believe it's going to change the world. So that's what we're trying to do at Dad Tired. We believe in that mission more than anything in the world, man, that if we could just equip men to lead their family well, to fall in love with Jesus, to help their family fall in love with Jesus, the whole world will change for the better. We'll see the glory of God all over our communities in the world. And so if you want to be part of that and you want to see this mission continue to grow, we would love to have you become a monthly partner. You can go to dadtire.com forward slash give. When you become a monthly partner, we'll send you the book that David wrote from today's episode, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, as a free gift to say thank you for believing in this ministry. We love you guys. Thank you for loving us and believing in this ministry. And we'll see you next week.